Words of consideration for tonight come from the Gospel of John, chapter 12. You can find them written in your worship folders, but also on the screen as well. From John, chapter 12. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. This is the word for God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Have you ever thought what it would be like to see into the future? Would that be kind of a neat thing to be able to do? I know there are fortune tellers and palm readers that purport to be able to tell your future just from the the lines on your palm. There are sci-fi movies like Paycheck that dive into the topic of, of looking into the future. But what would it be like? Would you like it? I think maybe at first, it could seem kind of neat. Again, at first. Just think, how much money you could make if you knew who would win the next 10 Super Bowls. You could put your money down on the winner of those Super Bowls. Or how great would it be if you knew the answers to a test before the test was even given? How great would it be if you knew exactly what a particular prospective client would want to hear, a prospective boss would want to hear, or a prospective spouse would want to hear. Certainly there could be advantages to knowing what would happen in the future. And yet, like I heard a few, or not heard, like I saw a few heads shaking their hands, heads no, you got to take the good with the bad. And there would be some not so good things about knowing the future. 
especially your own future. How would you like it if you knew for sure that you would get into an accident on your way home tonight? How would it be if you knew that the time that you talked to your mom or dad, son or daughter, friend, would be the last time that you'd ever talk to them because they would pass away after that? How would you like knowing when exactly you were going to die or how you were going to die? I think if we did know the future, it would cause far more worry than blessing. Far more worry than we already are worried about without even the future. But today we hear about a time in Jesus' life. A time when he wasn't worried, but he was indeed troubled. Because Jesus did know what the future holds. He did know what, what, where his life headed. And yet he didn't worry. He wasn't dissuaded from what he knew needed to be done. He had a purpose. He had a plan to be glorified. Glorified in suffering. And when we look at Jesus' life and we, we see that Jesus was troubled, it kind of can give us a little bit of comfort as well. It can give us comfort knowing that, that it is okay to feel troubled. As long as that trouble doesn't lead to worry. It's okay to feel troubled as long as that troubledness leads you to God. Leads you closer to him. Now as we look at Jesus in the, the text in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus once again in the temple in one of those temple courts. And this all takes place during Holy Week, the last week of Jesus' life, on Tuesday to be more specific. It would be the last time that Jesus would be seen publicly until his execution. And while he is in the temple courts, we hear about some Greeks, some converts to Judaism that want to talk to him. And then we hear a little bit of a, an awkward exchange where, where the disciple they went up to has to go and, and talk to another disciple and then those two disciples have to go to Jesus and we aren't even really sure whether the Greeks actually got to meet with Jesus or not. But what we can be pretty sure about is that this whole conversation stemmed from the realization of Jesus' mission or the reminder that Jesus had for, for his mission what he was on earth to do. Now, certainly, Jesus never forgot what he, he needed to do, but especially when so many people thought of the Messiah as only for the Jews, it was a good reminder by these non-Jewish believers wanting to see him of what Jesus had really come to do. It was a reminder that the Messiah had come for the whole world. That's why Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, oftentimes, if you page through the Gospels and look at Jesus' life, you'll see any number of instances where Jesus says, my time has not yet come. 
Like, for instance, before his first miracle, and his mother asked him to do something of creating water out of wine. But now it is different. Now his time did come. The purpose for him being here was at hand. And I can only imagine that when, when Jesus said, my time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, that, that a big smile showed up on his disciples' faces. Oh, my goodness. Finally, Jesus is getting the glory that is due him. We don't know what's going to happen, but we know it's got to be good. And yet, what Jesus considers glory is not the same as what we consider glory. Because remember what week this was. This was Holy Week. The week when Jesus would be betrayed, when he would be convicted, when he would be beaten, when he would be executed. And yet he still says, the Son of Man must be glorified. How many of us would consider the week in which Jesus was betrayed and executed a moment of glory for him? How many of us would consider it a high point in Jesus' life? Instead, I think so many of us might consider it the low point in Jesus' life, the time when he was rejected by the people. And yet this just shows how different God thinks about glory than, than how we think about glory. And Jesus didn't have any false delusions of what was going to happen. He knew he knew everything that was going to happen down to the gory detail. That's why Jesus went on to say, Very truly I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it bears a great harvest. Hear the certainty in Jesus' words. He was not simply saying, Well, I hope when I sacrifice myself, that some great movement is going to start. I hope that it's going to be the case. No. He knew. He knew exactly what he was going to do, and he knew exactly what it was going to accomplish. It would accomplish God's glory through suffering. Because it would be through the death of God's only Son, that single seed, that God would bury the sins of the world never to be seen again. This was always God's plan. This was always how the Son of Man would be glorified. And yet, don't think for a moment that this was easy for Jesus to do. Because in addition to being true God, he was also truly human as well, with feelings and emotions. Jesus even said what was to come. Now my spirit is troubled. Just think, how would we react if we knew that all of that was coming down the pipeline at us? Jesus almost realizes that we must be thinking this because he goes on to say, should I say, Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. You see, without Jesus' suffering, there would be no sins forgiven. Without Jesus' suffering, there would be no glory. 
Because the glory that Jesus is talking about is so different than the glory that we often think about. The glory that we often think about is very self-centered, about self, self-praise or self-preservation. And yet the glory that God has in mind is a glory that, that puts God and his plan first and foremost in our lives. A glory that even exceeds when we happen to do selfless acts of service for other people. Because this is selfless acts of service to God and to his plan. This might help to explain the difference between being troubled by something and being worried by something. Like I said at the beginning, it's okay to be troubled. Jesus was troubled at what was to come. But it's not okay to worry. Think of all the times and all of the things about which we worry. We worry about what the future holds. We might worry about our health. We worry about when things don't go our way in life. We worry about a test coming up at school. We worry and lose sleep over a strained relationship. We worry about kids or grandkids, their health, their school, their, ben- their friends. And yet when we worry in this way, we're always seeking our own interest. We're seeking our own benefit. We're seeking, in essence, our own glory. And we become worried that our life isn't the way that we want it to be. But in our worry, we miss out on a crucial ingredient. And that crucial ingredient is God. How easy could it have been for Jesus to just throw his hands in the air and say, forget it, you guys are not worth it. Yet Jesus knew his suffering was for a purpose. His suffering was for us. The purpose His suffering was for all of the times that we have worried, for all of the times that that we have grumbled that our life isn't fair, for all of the times when we have shook our fists at God at his seemingly senseless plans. And they sure seem senseless at times, don't they? Yet it was in this seemingly senseless plan that makes the most sense to God. Think about it. How could it make any sense that God's Messiah would come and then be betrayed and then be falsely accused and then be beaten and then be convicted and then be executed? How does that make any sense except for a miscarriage of justice? And yet it is in this miscarriage of justice through God's glory that we see the ultimate plan. Because in Jesus' suffering, our sins were forgiven. It was through his suffering that he, in his words, would draw all people to himself. And just as God had a plan for Jesus, so he also has a plan for each and every one of us. He's never promised us a life of peace and tranquility. Don't worry, that's coming in heaven. But he has promised to be with us, like he's always been with us, even in our troubles. Once again, it is okay to be troubled, but instead of letting our troubles lead us to get down and worried, 
We ought to let our troubles lead us back to God, to be drawn towards Him. Because in the cross of Christ, we see God's love displayed for us. As Jesus hung there on the cross, God loved you more than He loved His Son. And a God who loves you that much, don't you think He'll take care of you through the troubles in this life? And even when troubles come, He gives us a promise. We hear no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, to be sure, when we are facing trouble, when we are facing temptations, there's very rarely a time when we think, yeah, you know what, this is just the right amount of trouble for me to handle right now. No. So often we kind of throw our hands in the air and say, God, this is way too much. And yet so often we're blinded because we're in the thick of things. We're, we're biased in our opinion. So would you rather trust your subjective, biased opinion or would you rather trust the, the unerring word of God? Don't just take my word for it. Look at God's track record in your life, at the troubles that he has delivered you through, whether it be a trouble sometime a few weeks ago, a year ago, 10 years ago. A trouble that, that at the time you thought, how am I ever going to be able to get past this? And yet, look at you now. Here you are. God has given you a way to endure. So it is with the troubles and the temptations that we even face today. Instead of worrying about our troubles, we can glory in those troubles. We can endure the troubles that face us knowing that our God is with us and that our God will be praised even better in all of these troubles. So instead of saying, I'll be happy when this problem is over, I'll be happy when this test is done, I'll be happy when this strained relationship is completed, I can say that I'll be happy in spite of all of those things because I know my God still loves me and will take care of me through it. Like everything else that God did in this life, he saw fit for us not to see into the future, especially as it pertains to the details in our life. There would be far too many things that we would end up worrying about. Instead, he wants us to be content with the present. He wants us to live for the moment, to be content in whatever situation God has placed us in, knowing that in that situation, he is with us. And the one glimpse he gives us of the future is one that we don't have to worry about at all. Because that glimpse of the future is about the glory of heaven that is awaiting us. It's the glory of heaven that's awaiting us that gives us opportunity to glory in our own sufferings. Knowing that we follow in the footsteps of a God who suffered with us and for us. Amen. Now may he who began a good work in you carried out to completion on the day of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This time